Welcome to The Vanderpoint. Please join your hosts, Jessica Vanderkoy and Rachel Pointer, as they challenge each other and have critical conversations about disrupting and dismantling the systems that fuel human trafficking. To me, that's also a trauma-responsive lens, right? Because I'm recognizing that I am valuable enough, worthy enough to be tended to by me. Yeah. Right. And if I can do that, then I serve differently. I begin to think about other people in a different way. And I'm more connected with myself and more rooted in why I'm showing up in the first place. Uh I can see people where they are and navigate ways to support them in their journey, not my journey. Uh Uh-huh for them, their journey in a way that's completely different than if I am just projecting it all, which is what you do when you don't take care of yourself, you project everything. And, And then you're like pushing everyone else. Well, you have this need. I see this need in you. I see this need in you. Well, that's actually probably your own need and not Mm -hmm. theirs that you're responding to. So you serve completely differently. You show up completely differently when you when you take care of yourself, in, like an actual care for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of the concept of this trauma-ready response, which I prefer, and I'm pretty sure I made up. Uh, <laughs> We're just many years ago. <laughs> um, many years ago, and I I liked it better than trauma-informed. Um, because everyone was going through trauma-informed training, right? So Mm -hmm. everyone was learning, you know, trauma impacts people's memory, trauma impacts people's physical health, trauma impacts the way, the lens in which people see the world, trauma makes people hyper-vigilant, trauma makes people um, have trouble making decisions and feeling safe and trusting authority, right? And, um, but you know, so all of these these things, but trauma-ready is saying, if I know your memory is impacted because you've experienced trauma, I'm going to work in reminder calls in my service. Mm-hmm. That's trauma ready, right? Mm-hmm. If I know that um, having to live in survival mind for 10, 20, 30, 40 years probably has led to high blood sugar, inflamed joints, lower oxygen in your blood, um, blood high blood pressure, I'm going to make sure that you have access to see a medical professional to address those things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, because I, I it, trauma-informed is saying, yeah, you probably have high blood sugar and high blood pressure because you've been living in survival mode for three, thir- you know, 30 years, for three days. Right. That's trauma-informed. That's being informed about how trauma impacts your body. Trauma-ready mm-hmm. is saying, I care about your existence I care about your health and how you are able to walk through the world every day. And I know that your trauma, your trauma has these symptoms and I'm going to walk alongside you as we address them. And you do the hard work of healing from the things that have happened to you. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, It's a totally different level of responsibility. It is. It's a totally different level of responsiveness that can really only come from, yes, understanding that information, but also recognizing those things in yourself. Yeah. And, and to be honest, those of us who work in the trauma fields, we've experienced trauma either by witnessing it, right? 
reading it or having its like personal experiences with it as well. We respond when we respond through our own healing journey and understanding what trauma does, but recognizing our own worth and value and, and showing up as models in that system, right? Mm-hmm. Of not, oh, look at me, I'm doing it right. But hey, I've experienced some crap and this is how I'm working through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because I've experienced some crap and I recognize that I have a hard time remembering these things, I also see that that's one of those things we talk about, trauma-informed care. You've experienced crap. You're probably going to have a hard time remembering things. So I'm going to put on my calendar to remind me to remind you. Uh I'm practicing those things that I'm offering to you. And that comes from a totally different place. You get rid of, and this is different than being responsible, but you get rid of, you know, closing out cases for no call, no show, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean that when the person does call, you put them at the top of the list, Right. right? It means that I recognize that you're doing the best that you can right now. And, um, you didn't make the appointment, right? You didn't attend the appointment. Um, but I also know there's so many other things competing for you to get through each and every day. Yes. So let's reschedule, yes. right? But there's a lot of places that will just, just discharge you, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Because there was a no call, no show, and right? And they'll still say they're trauma informed. Right. And <laughs> I think people struggle with this idea because they think it means that you have to put that person at the front of the line, or you have to not hold someone responsible for their own decisions. But here's the thing with trauma-informed care um, and being trauma-ready. If you believe that the person that you are serving is the expert on their own life, which is a tenant of of being in a Mm trauma-informed system, and that your job is to walk alongside them, you also walk alongside them as they misstep, right? And part of that autonomy is that we miss the appointment, you're doing the best you can and the next available appointments in four weeks. Yep. And so you can't have someone say, I believe you, you are the expert on your own life. You get to make decisions for yourself. You have autonomy for who you are and who you're becoming when it's the decisions we want you to make. Right. 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 Um, so I, um, I think seeing it that way gives, gives people permission to just truly walk alongside, right? Mm-hmm. Even as people who, you know, we'd have this happen where you'd locate, you know, safe safe shelter for someone who, you know, was needing a safe place to stay. And they didn't, they didn't like it there. They didn't feel safe there, but you knew mm-hmm. there were no other housing options. And the person would leave the, the place where they were living, which then had a consequence of maybe not being as high up on housing lists, Maybe it meant having to sleep someplace that you didn't really want to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what you do is in a kind and an attentive way, walk alongside someone as then they, they experience what's happened as a result of their decisions because they get to make their own decisions. Yes. And that's, yes. that's being trauma ready. That's yeah. being well enough in yourself to say, you know, God damn it. Just do what I want you to do. Well, <laughs> I mean, go inward, man. Why do you, why do you need, why do you need people to do how you want them to do? Right. Right. Go inward, my dude, go inward. (laughs) Go inward. Yes, (laughs) for sure. For sure. And when you go inward, instead of like getting all weird and whatever about 
oh, well, you didn't do this thing that I wanted you to do. You recognize that when you say, uh, well, we're discharging you because you missed three appointments, that's punitive. That's not trauma-informed or trauma-ready. And then your next question to yourself, and I guarantee this will help you whether you are trauma-informed, trauma-ready, trauma-anything. The next question to yourself, and this is maybe a mantra, is it my job to be punitive? Because I guarantee you the answer is no. Correct. The answer is no. I mean, hell, even in the criminal justice system, we call it a rehabilitation system, right? Um, I mean, you know what I mean? So like yeah. my question to you, fellow human, is, is it your job to be punitive? Right. 9.9 times out of 10, the answer is actually no. Correct. The answer is actually no. Correct. And so then, so then pull back, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. because you know, that leads us kind of into the, our second favorite thing to talk about with is don't be a damn trafficker, right? <laughs> so yes. don't, um, how service systems actually create the dynamic of power and control, exploitate, exploitation, coercion within funded, federally funded, tax dollar funded, uh, rich people funded programs. Like it's yes. mandated. Like it's it, like we have these things within policy that actually create the dynamic of trafficking. No wonder nobody trusts you. Mm-hmm. you now I've actually heard in programs that serve um, survivors of trafficking that you need to attend therapy and have the therapist note that you are making progress in therapy before we will help you with your phone bill, even though phone bill funds are a line item in your budget. Right. Right. But the way that we carry it out, talk about being a trafficker. I will help you have the tools to feel safe. If you do what I want you to do. Hmm. That sounds <laughs> right? so familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's called coercion. It's called exploitation. Yeah. And it's fraudulent. Because Absolutely. the premise of your organization is that you serve people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me welcome you in my doors and then say, you know what? I'm going to see, I'm going to need to see a little bit of progress in your mental health before I help you get a snack. Right. Yeah. What the actual fuck? I was wondering how long it was going to be oh, into, now the, into this now conversation <laughs> before one of us said what the actual fuck, because like, that's an indicator. <laughs> We do it all the time. And then on top of that, it's like, oh, we provide 10% of what you actually need to feel safe and have your basic needs met, right? Because we mm-hmm. silently. So while you're maneuvering this nasty game of life through the service system, mm-hmm. right? And then never recognizing with, with survivors when we serve them, when these are kind of the actions of the organizations is saying, because I don't even know that sometimes survivors will label it, like it's a familiar transactional relationship. It's a familiar Mm -hmm. um, feeling of exploitation, but it takes some work to get the language and you need someone often to help kind of like finesse that out, which is part of making sense out of all of it. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're the ones in the power seat. So it's like, this isn't exploitation. Yet the person experiencing you is going, oh my gosh, like, I I don't feel like I have any autonomy. I feel like if I'm going to get food later, I need to tell you what you want to hear, right? Yep. And the truth is, I don't, 
I'm not even able to string together the full memory myself anyway, mm-hmm. right now in this space and how absolutely awful and abusive and not trauma ready that is. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we start talking about these pieces and I'm just like, oh my God. Ah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these, the justice system, quote unquote, criminal justice system, the way we run nonprofits, services, the whole thing, it's set up in such a way that everything we do almost mirrors tactics the traffickers and exploited people use and, and abusive people use. And how are you supposed to, I mean, as a survivor, I would come to these places to find something that's not abusive and exploitive to me, right? Like that's the idea. How am I supposed to ever know anything different if you serve me in the same way that the person who is exploiting me exploits me? Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't know anything different if the people that I come to for help or the people that I am coming to, to find some sort of justice serve me in the same way that I've been hurt. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, it, it makes no sense. And, and it, it double makes no sense that survivors have been saying that very thing for eons and mm-hmm. nothing has changed. Right. Which tells me that it's bigger than just a couple of staff members, right? It's, it's a, it's the system itself is not well, it's our service service. Yeah. Well, our service system mirrors the actual power and control that that exists to make sure that trafficking can exist in the first place Mm -hmm. I mean you know what I mean and so Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's like it's no wonder that it happens what's angering is I just wish people were just just be upfront about it right be like look when you walk through my door the way my funding works is you're going to have to do five therapy sessions and you're going to have to work through at least one of your identified traumas on your ACEs before I will make sure that you have a place to sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. Like the frustrating part is that people present themselves differently and that's right. the fraudulent part of it. Right. And then you have people who enter the system who want to change this and are fighting their own system to say, it is absolutely insane that you're requiring someone to have success in therapy before you help them get their basic needs. Mm-hmm. Like, and fighting our own funded systems that employ us, right? Yes. Like, which yes. those are real things that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's maddening. It's, it's absolutely maddening. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Like to the point where I just sometimes don't even know what to say anymore. Cause it's so, so, so screwed up, so screwed up. When we do it through so many tiny things in our systems, like it's like, that's kind of a big thing, right? Which would be Mm -hmm. like a policy or procedural thing that you had to be in therapy before we looked at helping you have a phone for safety, right? Um, I was thinking about a a training that I had done with um, with staff who worked in a youth youth jail, and we taught we had this conversation. Um, people people don't love the conversation of how they might be behaving like a trafficker in their their business world, um, but we very very carefully kind of moved that through, and then and then gave them an assignment like to start reflecting on 
um, mm-hmm. how maybe that is true. And they came up with an example, and I think it's it's perfect how it is something very small that wasn't actually written in policy. It was just one of those things that got passed down from, you know, one one guard to the next hire to the next hire. Um, because we had a conversation afterwards was, is this a rule? Is this a policy? And I was like, well, no, it's just what you do. And the, what they did was <clears throat> one of the rules was for youth that were in um, this detention center when they had a visitor. So only could be basically their attorney, a case manager and a parent, right? We're the only people that really could visit um, right. and maybe a service provider that had gotten approval. Um, When you came to do a visit with the young person, the rule was, now mind you, um, to get from the cell of where a youth is held to the visitation place or long hallways. There's a couple of flights of stairs, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the the, uh, unwritten rule was, and it was, you didn't tell the young person who was there to see them. Yep. So it was, and so I said, oh, okay. So, well, why would that be? And immediately people said safety. And I said, okay, so safety, is it that, like, tell me, tell me about safety. And honestly, they could not answer, right? It was about power and control. It was oh, yeah. about someone's here to see you. It does not matter if you want to talk to that person right now. Mm-hmm. It does not matter if this is a good time for you right now. I'm the boss and you will go talk to them. If when you get there, you decide you don't, right? Um, You can decline the visit. But imagine the hallway walk, right? Mm -hmm. For a young person who's been exploited, who's been trafficked, who's um, experienced sexual and physical abuse, who's probably potentially been homeless, maybe has never experienced the kindness and love from an unconditional adult, right? Mm -hmm saying someone's here to see you make this long walk to the front of the building usually in shackles mind you tell me how that does not mirror the way trafficking works Mm -hmm. power control force fraud coercion which by the way don't need to be present when you're working with someone under the age of 18 correct Uh, (laughs) but but right so it's the same Mm -hmm. and so then when we had this conversation I was like, you know, is this a rule? And everybody's like, well, no, it's not a rule. It's just something we all know. And I was like, what if we started there? What if we just started there? Your individual practice as a person serving another person Mm -hmm. just decided that when there's a visitor, I'm going to tell the young person who it is. And they can make a decision at that point on whether or not that's something they want to participate in that moment. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like, you just gave autonomy and decision and choice to a young person who potentially for the last however long has never had that ever. Yep. Yep. So just challenging people to think of these little tiny things that can change in the way they operate, the way they interact, right? We don't have to take on the policy manual for the organization today. (laughs) We don't have to. I mean, you can, right? Right. And please do someone. (laughs) (laughs) But it's these little things, right, that we can start on today. As soon as we say, make a commitment, I'm going to reflect on my behavior and my interaction with people who are here to be served. Am I mirroring the way a trafficker implements power and control to keep somebody captive and stuck 
and for all sorts of different reasons, right? Am I, am I playing into that? And as soon as you're willing to ask that question, then we can start talking about the little things that we can do. Right. And that's how trauma-ready systems are made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's being willing to ask yourself those questions mm-hmm. going inward first, right? I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the thread is going, going inward first and being willing to ask those questions, being willing to ask yourself, like, is what I'm doing something that I have to do? Mm -hmm. And if so, why? Mm -hmm. Like questioning everything. We're, I like to say pre-groomed, really, you know, society and then our, our birth environments and how we were raised and all of those things really shape us in a way that in the right circumstances, any of us can be exploited. Mm-hmm. Any of us can really experience that ourselves, right? So there's a lot of pre-grooming that goes on. And we are pre-groomed, most of us, to not question, to not go inward. I'm always worried about what someone else is thinking, what someone else is doing, what someone else's measurement of success, what someone else's measurement of someone else's marker for this, that, or the other thing, instead of what is, what, what is my opinion, mm-hmm. what feels right for me, what sets well in my soul or my spirit, what makes my mind feel at ease. Mm-hmm. in this moment and and you know that's the insidious side of the world that we live in is when we don't when we don't go inward when we don't think about those things we don't question things we inadvertently become part of a system that literally abuses and exploits people mm-hmm. we become the trafficker mm-hmm. yeah we sure do Gross so gross. (laughs) And I mean, there's going to be times when we go inward and we reflect on these things and we ask the questions and we recognize that there's no way for us to exist within that system without perpetuating that kind of violence. And in those moments, we need to take an action to move out of it, Mm -hmm. to disengage from that, to break the shit out of it right? Like the way that it's set up, the way that these systems are set up, they are set up for you to just follow along Mm -hmm. and not just follow along, follow the system, you know, like that's what. Well, and that's what makes, I mean, I think it's an act of of self-care, self-compassion, caring for self, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, When you actively either dismantle or move out of systems where your values cannot be in alignment with Mm -hmm. the energy you put out, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have to do things, say things, complete things that are, that are not in alignment with your values, that's damaging. It's hard. And it is an act of self-care to say, my energy is important and it matters. And I'm going to align the energy, the conversations I have with the people in my circle, who's in my circle, decisions Mm. that I have to carry out at work. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to find a space where my values are in alignment. And then that comes back to Mm -hmm. Um, self-care. And so you can go at it a couple of different ways, right? You can dismantle, break shit up, like you said, Mm -hmm. which is an act of self-care. Yes. Or you can leave it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I also think is an act of self-care. Absolutely. Um, 
there can be complicated feelings around it. But like you said, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Is to be able to say, this isn't for me. I consistently have to do and say and surround myself with people that don't align with, with who I am and, and what my values are. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, I'm going to leave it. Mm-hmm. And those are hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are hard decisions. And I, I, I want to like say this out loud that those kind of decisions can be super difficult recognizing that there are so many things tied to leaving those things behind mm-hmm. income for example <laughs> health insurance health yeah. insurance mm-hmm. uh, yeah and and it is important for us to recognize that it's also important for us to whenever we can not settle mm-hmm. you're And the thing is like, okay, so in my lifetime, I've made lots of decisions to settle. Like, I'm just going to do what I can within this space because even though it's really grating at me and it's keeping me up at night and I can't eat and I can't sleep and I'm, you know, becoming super ineffective in my job in the first place, ruining relationships that are good for me, et cetera, because that's the fallout of Mm -hmm. that that kind of existence, right? Just going to do what I can and just settle in this, in this space right now, because that's the best I can do. And like, this is better than what would happen if I left, like not even thinking about the precedent that I'm setting mm-hmm. because people that come after me, like not come after me, like attacking me, but like come in that space behind me go, well, she did it. So mm-hmm. this is good enough. Mm-hmm. And to me, like the, and the more that I think about it, that is not okay with me. That's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. And, and the more that I become more like aligned within myself and my values and go through my own healing and shaking up my own internal shit, right? The more that I do that, the more I, I recognize like, I don't show up in these spaces anymore, do the work that I do anymore without thinking about if I do this Will the person coming up behind me feel like they can take it an extra mile or will they settle for what is as good as this is? Mm -hmm. I want, I want to leave a space so that when I move on, the person coming up behind me says, I can go the extra mile because Mm -hmm. of this, because of this, Mm -hmm. I can go the extra mile. I don't want people who just settle. Mm -hmm. Like that's, we haven't gotten that far in our society and healing was yeah. <laughs> breaking up all the things, right? We haven't, we haven't torn down enough shit and rebuilt anything, transformed enough of anything for mm-hmm. me to be comfortable with. Yeah. I want people to just, this is good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, it's important to remember little things add to big things, right? Mm-hmm. So when we overwhelm people, I mean, you know, whether it's, someone healing from from trauma related to exploitation and violence um, or it's the counselor or the advocate that's working in these systems Mm. is is to remember that little things add to big things it's one conversation right on top of changing a form on top of writing something new and in your grant right Mm -hmm. it's little things like that Um, and then you know as a survivor it's it's um, having the courage to make the appointment and then the courage to show up to the appointment, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's the, it's these little grains of sand that add and that's how change happens. And 
but we have to be paused enough to notice, mm-hmm. right? We have to, um, which again comes back to taking care of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And um, I know for me, I always want big, right? I want, <laughs> I want to blow it up and rebuild all in the same day. And so what's hard for me and isn't as hard for me now that, that I am kinder to myself and have included myself in the inner circle of, of compassion is that I am paused enough to be able to say, you know, the work that we're doing in this, in this conversation, that if one person leaves saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold secrets with, with the, with young people who have a visitor mm-hmm. at the jail, I'm going to just let them know who's there. Cause that's what I would want. Mm-hmm. And I really can't identify how this is a safety concern for anyone involved. And so I'm just going to change it. It's those tiny little things yeah. that if we're all willing to just start having, you know, be a part of that, we aren't settling. You right. Know? And I think it's so important for us to think about those things and, and actually step into them. Where can I impact change if it needs to change? Thank you for witnessing today's conversation on The Vanderpoint. Jessica and Rachel hope you will join them next time as they continue engaging in this critical work.